Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. Quick episode this week. I just wanted to touch on some, some things that I wrote about from my 2022 Draft Deeper Top 25 Under 25. If you did listen to the last episode of the podcast, you would have heard uh, me conduct a draft along with Pee Wee to Plug from over at Through the Wire with Bleacher Report, as well as Corey and Albert from the Draft Deck NBA Draft Podcast. We went through and ranked our own top 25 under 25s. I was able to compile all of them into one set of rankings that we used as a pool of players to be able to draft from, right? And at the end of the day, the exercise was to draft and build a team from those rankings. It wasn't necessarily we were sitting there going around the room and ranking each player accordingly. We were trying to build different squads. Obviously, everybody had different opinions and and, and different styles that they wanted to build their team around. They had different themes, right, to to how they went about the team building process. I ultimately ended up going with a a ton of offense, but a veteran-laden team nonetheless. Albert definitely went more of the the youth route and he wanted to build his team around the perimeter tandem of Kate Cunningham and Anthony Edwards. Um, Pee-wee plug had the number one overall pick. So Pierre naturally went with Luka Doncic, who was the top player on our composite rankings and tried to build the best team around Luka that he could. And then Corey took a little bit more of a size and length and, and defensive minded approach and then outfitted his team with arguably one of the best six men that could have been had in this exercise in Lamella ball. So they were all really interesting rosters. And if you missed that episode of the podcast, or you actually wanted to look at physical copies of the rosters, if you're following me on Twitter at draft deeper, I did share those rosters as I posted the podcast. So definitely make sure you go and check all of that out if you want more insight into the draft. But today I just thought I would run through my personal top 25 under 25 rankings because I did publish these on noceilingsmba.com this week. So if you want to look at it from a written perspective, want to give want to give that a quick read. Obviously, if you aren't subscribed to the Substack, please go ahead and do so at noceilingsmba.com, but you can definitely check out the written piece as well. But that's, that's how I want to frame this podcast. The other reason I wanted to frame this podcast around the rankings is because the last draft I'm going to go back and do this offseason cycle and work with as far as re-tiering is the 2019 NBA draft for the top four players that I would go back and re-tier are in fact a part of this exercise and they made my rankings so let's just go through the rankings and how I approached this exercise right ranking a top 25 under 25 what the hell does that mean There are multiple ways that you can go about it. I wanted to personally reward production over a prolonged amount of time instead of just anointing some of the younger players based solely on potential, right? I I, I wanted to reward players like a Luka Doncic, like a Jason Tatum for what they've put into their craft and the production that they've had over a course of a number of years, as opposed to just one or two years, that now they're on an all-star path, an all-NBA path. But I I would assume that both of those guys sooner rather than later will be even more firm in NBA MVP discussions than they already are now. That that is my expectation. That's why I would classify them as top-tier players 
in an exercise like this. So even though you will hear some names over the course of this podcast episode, and you can see some of the younger names if you read my piece over on NoSillingsNBA.com, you may disagree with where I've slotted some of these players, but that was my criteria going into this. I wanted to award, reward, I should say, proven production and players who I feel have expanded more parts of their game and or have fit in some really interesting roles for the teams they're already on. And if I'm drafting these players or I'm conducting an exercise like this where I'm trying to rank or pick apart players who, if I'm trying to build a team, how do they fit with other guys? I'm rewarding production, age, proven ability, fit. And then I'm looking at, you know, obviously the skill sets along with that, but really the, the, the potential, even though it could be a much higher priority for some other people while doing an exercise like this, I'm looking at where these guys are today. And then if there's a quote unquote tiebreaker to be had at some point in this exercise, that's when I would go with uh, youth and potential and what we could expect from them as soon as next year. So I want to go through how I rank these players. I, I essentially broke this out into five different tiers, right? So my top tier, and, and, and I made the tiers fun. This is more for, for the enjoyment of the exercise rather than actually breaking out certain tiers as akin to what I do for a draft class, for example. But my tier one guys are who I dubbed the franchise changers, right? And I have five guys in this tier. So I have Luka Doncic and Jason Tatum at the very top. I have Zion Williamson ranked number three in this exercise. John Morant is at number four. And then number five would be Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So the top five guys in my rankings, they're here for a reason, right? They've proven to me personally in some form or fashion that they aren't just interesting young building blocks for the future, a, a phrase that I could definitely use to talk about other players a little bit later on in this exercise. I firmly believe each of these players could win an MVP award someday. They've been, they've been or are on their way to all NBA status. And Again, I don't want to make my criteria hover around awards and lists of accomplishments as some in, in the media do. I don't want to make that my sole focus of this exercise, but it's also reality to sometimes recognize the greatness that these awards indicate. So when I do have some of these discussions, when I talk about doing tiers for a particular draft class, right? For example, my tier one would be, do I view you as an MVP caliber player? And usually if you are in those types of discussions, you are an established star, potentially superstar on a really good, the championship level team. So it's really easy to look at that and say, that's not just a classification of, I'm just counting the number of awards you have on your resume. It usually is an indicator to point to, okay, this is the type of player that he is. And if he's reached this level, chances are he has a much greater chance at impact, impacting winning than some of his other peers do. So we are coming off a year in which we watched, we watched Luka Doncic carry his team to a Western Conference Finals. Jason Tatum was two games away from winning his first NBA championship. John Morant helped lead a resurgence in Memphis, and he's really put the Grizzlies in, in a incredibly bright future and a healthy Zion Williamson to me, just, just to me personally is one of the most dominant young forces the league has ever seen 
um, by the numbers in terms of paint scoring and overall impact. And that, that can be one of the things that I, I expected to see some comments about in a ranking such as this. Why do you have Zion Williamson ahead of John Morant? John Morant's healthier. John Morant's played more games. John Morant has proven from a leadership standpoint, his team wants to play and rally around him and that he can be the unequivocal face of the franchise day in and day out. Has Zion Williamson proven all of those things? You're right. Zion hasn't been healthy. Zion hasn't played in as many games. Zion doesn't have now the same level of playoff experience that John Morant does at this point in their careers. But I personally would still bet on Zion Williamson at the end of the day to be the best player from the 2019 draft class. The, the, the trajectory that he was on before he sustained the few injuries that he did and he ultimately sat out last year to rehabilitate and hopefully come back an even better player this year. That, that's at least all of our hopes. We want to see an incredibly healthy and an awesome Zion Williamson. The path he was on, he, he was a 27 points per game scorer on over 60% shooting from the field. He's shown signs that eventually should be able to add some sort of a jump shot or at least a standstill three-point shot to his game. He can get to the line. He can knock down enough of his free throws when he gets to the line based on the volume, the number of times he can get to the free throw line. The, the Pelicans were building point Zion lineups around him, handling the ball, running inverted pick and rolls, doing all of these really awesome things with the ball in his hands, setting his teammates up, taking advantage of his passing ability. I understand the, the defense, and I've talked about his defense on some other podcast episodes, so I won't, I won't take too much time to really dig into some of that. But my point is, when we talk about dominant offensive forces in the NBA, we can nitpick some of their defensive warts all we want, but at the end of the day, you still have to put the ball in the basket, right? And, and Zion is one of the best players in this age group to be able to do that, and I think he can do it if healthy at a higher level than John Moran can. So that's why I would have Zion just slightly ahead of John. And then Anthony Edwards, Anthony Edwards is a talking point uh, in and of itself as well. He Edwards is a beast, right? His two way potential at one of the most important positions in the league is undeniable as one of the best athletes. The NBA has to offer at six, five. I mean, he can guard virtually anyone on the floor when he's locked in offensively his knack for hitting jumpers over the toughest of coverages makes one's jaw drop in awe. Oh, and then he'll also follow that up with a, with a step back three. Um, he'll fall hold a step back three vicious dunk. He will leave the entire arena in disbelief with the number of things that he's capable of doing on the offensive side of the ball. And he showed that in the playoffs was a consistent force for the Timberwolves in their playoff series this past year against the Grizzlies, 36 points in game one, 20 points at game two, 19 points in game three. So we saw a little bit of a dip um, in effectiveness across those two games, but then 24 points, 22 points, and then 30 points in that game six loss to the, the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, this, this guy, this guy, Anthony Edwards, man, he is capable of taking his game to a completely different level than I thought he could this quick in his career. But the thing that I've mentioned on a few other podcast episodes, it's, it's his maturity, man. It, it is the maturity that exudes him both on the court as well as off the court, his personality, his willingness to bond with all of his teammates. The fact that doesn't, doesn't seem like anybody else around the league hates him. He has such a likable personality. And when you combine that with the work ethic that we are seeing 
from Anthony Edwards. He wants to put the work in. He's crazy about the game of basketball, which was something that people had questions about with him coming out of the draft. I don't think there's any more questions about that. He's dedicated. He's committed to his craft. He's one of the best athletes the league has to offer and an incredibly deep range on his jump shot. And he's just continuing to get better and better and better with the ball in his hands. He's tightening up the dribble. He's working on finding guys at a certain play types, particularly downhill. Once he gets downhill in a pick and roll set, he's getting better at being more of a scoring threat off the ball. And then defensively, yeah, when he's locked in, it's very hard to push him off of his spots and get around him uh, on the perimeter. He can even hold his own a little bit in the post, depending on who the matchup is. So Anthony Edwards is one of these more complete two-way wings that every single NBA franchise would love to have on their roster. And that's why I got to give Anthony Edwards the the nod here at number five. And then all of these rankings, it's not like anything that I'm talking about on this podcast episode. It's not like any of this is set in stone, right? I I can literally go back and and rewrite these tiers next year based on performances that we see, based on growth and development that we see, based on some lackluster play we could see from some of these players. All of this can change, and that's the beauty, and that's the fun in doing some of these off-season reflection episodes of the podcast. We get to look back at what happened the previous season. We get to compare notes as to what we saw when these guys were coming out of the draft. We get to look at all of these things and learn lessons from each and every single one of them. And yes, I am putting together a written piece for No Ceilings that will be out next week. I'm going to go through, I believe it's about 16 or 17 names I put together of who I dub as my biggest misses in the NBA draft scouting over the last six years. I, I ran it from 2016 all the way through 2021. And I think I got a bonus guy in there, somebody who I'm already regretting a little bit about where my evaluation was with him from the 2022 NBA draft class. So make sure you definitely are subscribed to the feed so you don't miss that episode um, and, and you don't miss that written article as well. That will be a lot of fun to, to, to go back and do. Maybe I'll do a podcast about it. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Written words are definitely coming on nostillingsmba.com though. So always make sure you're subscribed to the Substack. So those are my top five guys. Tier two, I have this tier as the proven co-stars. Why do I call this tier the proven co-stars? Well, I will read some of my written piece here. Maybe this will help give a little bit of an explanation. So what I wrote about tier two is, It's incredibly fascinating to look back on how I drafted and put together my team on the podcast based on my actual rankings. I put together a team with one player for my top tier, which would be Zion Williamson, and four more in my next tier. What that means is this. I built a team of proven co-stars supporting a potential MVP caliber talent. In drafting, I could have targeted some more defense or even went younger as I did with one of my picks who sits in the last tier, which I'll get to a little bit later on. But again, my personal philosophy in drafting as well as ranking was rewarding proven talent first while factoring in potential, but ultimately putting that second. There is no right or wrong way to go about putting together a list like this or in conducting a mock draft, but I do feel great about my second tier in this piece and on this podcast episode. So I wanted to title this group, the proven co-stars, because while I don't see them on the level as a true number one option, like the five guys ahead of them, this group is comprised of talents that could be second options on a championship level team. And if the second best player within an organization is any one of these guys, 
I would be horrified to go up against that unit. So in this tier, I have number six, I have Brandon Ingram from the New Orleans Pelicans, Trey Young at number seven from the Atlanta Hawks, Shea Gilgis-Alexander at number eight from the Oklahoma City Thunder, Tyrese Maxey of the 76ers all the way up at number nine. I know that's, that's really, really high for Tyrese. I'll get to that in a second. Um, number 10, Jaron Jackson Jr. with the Memphis Grizzlies. Number 11, DeAndre Ayton with the Phoenix Suns. Number 12, De'Aaron Fox with the Sacramento Kings. Number 13, Tyrese Halliburton uh, now plays for the Pacers. And rounding out this group would be at number 14, I have R.J. Barrett with the New York Knicks. So there are a number of guys that I think are fascinating in terms of debating. I think Trey Young was the most divisive name that came out of our draft. I ended up taking him, but I took him essentially in, in the middle of our draft. I believe I got him at pick number 16. And that, that to a lot of people seemed really, really low to take a guy like Trey Young. And a, a lot of my co-draftees went the route of they wanted players who sat the most at that intersection of size, skill, length, versatility, basketball IQ, athleticism. That's they wanted to get those guys, right? Like I, I underestimated a little bit how quickly players like a Scotty Barnes or an Evan Mobley would, would go as high as they did in, in that draft exercise. Um, players who I'll touch on in, in the tier below this. I overestimated, I think, um, the, the fact that just because I would prioritize drafting a player like a Trey Young or a Shea Gilgis-Alexander or a Tyrese Maxey, I, I thought that the majority of others would subscribe to that same philosophy that you, you take proven winning production above all else and, and, and you figure out the rest later. And that was a difference in draft philosophy that I had with everyone who I did the exercise with, but I still would rank Trey Young at number seven at the end of the day. I mean, come on, a guy who puts up 28 points and 10 assists per game, you can have all of the questions in the world that you want about his defensive impact and how he can go on one end and get you three points or he can pass ahead to somebody. And then, and, and that's a two point bucket or a lob for you. Right. You can take those points and then you can, you can subtract um, how many points he may give up on, on the defensive end. And you can do the math. And sometimes the math's going to tell you to go a different direction, get a guy at the point guard position who can defend much better at the point of attack than Trey can when he gets uh, on an Island, when he has to go up against bigger players, when he gets lost in a switch, somebody who can better fight their battles on the defensive side of the ball. Not every single thing, can be about offense, but a talent like Trey Young for, for what he brings to the table from a skill standpoint, his shooting ability, his floater ability, his craftiness at drawing fouls, his unreal, unreal passing ability to pass guys open, not just the, the fact that he's making the pass or he recognizes the window out of certain play types, but that he can literally pass guys open when it doesn't look like they're in position to catch the ball and finish around the basket or, or get a clean look off at a jump shot. What Trey Young can do on the offensive side of the ball is something I really underestimated when he was coming out of college. And I've wanted to turn around and, and praise him at different points during his NBA career, particularly that playoff run where they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, the Atlanta Hawks did. I can't put Trey Young any lower than, than number seven on this exercise. He's one of the most spectacular point guards that we have in the NBA today. I ended up actually drafting. Shea Gilgis Alexander the, the first time around uh, ahead of Trey Young and they ended up getting Trey Young in the back end. 
that that's my backboard. That's my backboard around Zion. And I know in that exercise, you, you can tear my team apart. You can say, well, who, who's going to guard who, right? The defense matters. Who's going to guard my team, right? Like if you have Zion playing off of those two guards, complete scoring guards, in my opinion, I believe that both Trey and Shea are legitimate three-level scoring guards in the NBA and you pair them with the offensive force that is Zion and you add in some of those other pieces, like who, who's guarding my squad? at the end of the day is, is what I want to know too. So that's, that's another thing where I, I look back on my team and even though I felt a little bit bad about it on the podcast, I'd like it more as it ages. Cause I went with proven legitimate winning players. Um, when, when, when Zion has been on the court for the Pelicans, they they've certainly uh, been on course to win more games than they lose. Trey Young has carried a team to the Eastern conference finals. I, I feel really good about the team that I put together. Tyrese Maxey, why is he number nine? Why is Tyrese Maxey so high in these rankings ahead of a Jaron Jackson Jr. who was in legitimate conversation to be the defensive player of the year last year? Why ahead of DeAndre Ayton, who was the starting big man on a team that, that very recently went to the NBA Finals and was in the playoffs again last year? Why would I put somebody like him in front of them? Well, to be frank, I have zero clue what Maxi's ceiling is, right? Like he, he was one of the best three-point shooters in the entire NBA last year. And he was a dynamic playoff scorer for the 76ers next to Joel Embiid and James Harden. While he probably won't lead the team in scoring during the regular season as he isn't the focal point of the team like Embiid, he's jumped more levels in that department and departments, I should say, as a scorer and a shooter than... I could have anticipated up to this point. You factor in, he's built well physically. He's tough on the defensive end. He's an improving passer, a crafty finisher around the basket. There really are few things I'm left having questions about moving forward. And I love guards who have that burst. They have that edge to them physically, right? Like he's one of the quicker guards end to end in the NBA. He can get to his spots and he's a, he's a little bit of a jet moving. Even in the half court, he can get to his spots on the court. I would much rather bet on guys like that who are also legitimate three-level scoring threats and they're hard workers like him. They have motors like him. They want to at least compete and bring it on the defensive end despite um, being a, a tad bit undersized as to the 6'5 or above rule that everybody likes to throw out in the NBA nowadays for lead ball handlers. I would much rather bet on one uh, on a guy like Tyrese Maxey. So that's why I would have him as high as number nine. Um, but even with Maxi, I'm also putting some faith in Tyrese Halliburton and RJ Barrett making similar jumps heading in the next year at this current moment in time. I think all three could be more rationally classified as third options, but after reviewing more of the film and going back and, and doing some things that I did for this exercise, all three, in my opinion, have developed go-to moves on the perimeter and they can get their own shot in a variety of ways. Um, Halliburton has the best passing chops of the group, but all three are willing passers. They're willing defenders. They're still filling out and improving um, on that end. They're improving their bodies. They're, they're really improving their games overall. And I look at a guy like RJ Barrett, who's, who's proven he can be a number one in a pinch, but has also been a complimentary option to a guy like a Julius Randle. Tyrese Halliburton is just an easy plug and play fit next to a bunch of different guys in certain lineups, I'm making bets having Maxi, Halliburton, and Barrett where they are in the rankings ahead of 
the trio of Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, and Scotty Barnes, who it, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to argue that they have, in theory, more potential, right? Given where they are right now in their careers, we have to think about how much better they can keep getting and keep getting year after year after year after year. But I don't know how much better Tyrese Maxey can get. I don't know how much better uh, Tyrese Halliburton can get or RJ Barrett. They still have plenty of room to grow in their own rights. All of these guys, it's a top 25 under 25 list for a reason. They're all young and developing and getting better in their own rights. So I, I, I feel good about ranking all of these guys where I have them under the tier of a proven co-star. To me, there's there's been enough production in the NBA over a course of a period of multiple years where I can look at these guys and say, if I'm building a team, right, and I have a legitimate number one star, who are some of the guys who I can look at and, and, and add pieces to the puzzle? Who are those guys who can fit in as, as second or third options? And, and I know what I'm getting from them. I don't have to wait on potential. They're ready to come in and do the job I ask of them today. Halliburton, Barrett, Maxi, Jared Jackson, uh, DeAndre Aiden, they all, they all know their role. The one guy who is kind of stuck in this tier because I don't, I don't, I don't really see a way too far upward for him anymore. Although I do think some people forgot about him was De'Aaron Fox. I mean, Corey and Albert, they didn't even have him ranked on their list at all. They, they, they would much rather bet on youth and potential and what some of these other guys could become than what De'Aaron Fox is. But I mean, five years in, right. He, he only, he, he's only played in, a little over 50 games, less than 60 games over the course of his last three years. But in his most complete, his best year, two years ago, I mean, this guy was averaging 25 points per game and 7.2 assists. He took some, some drops in production as the team, the roster was changing around him last year. But even in a quote-unquote down year from where he was the year before, still 23 points and six assists per game, 47% from the field, 30% from three. We would love those numbers to come up at 75% from the line over averaging over a steal per game. One of the most electric scoring guards that we have in the NBA at six, three with decent length. What, what really isn't to like about the Aaron Fox, other than that, he hasn't, he hasn't lived up to some of the defensive potential that everybody thought he had when he was coming out of Kentucky, working more with, with Cal and the Wildcats. I think people thought that he would have been a better point guard defender, but still being one of the most electric offensive options in the game today. And now the Kings kept him on the roster, uh, traded for Demonis Sabonis, brought in Keegan Murray from the draft. They, they believe that Fox can be as much of a building block for where they want to be, which is the playoffs next year as anybody else in the roster. So that speaks volumes to me. I'm sure that I will be talking about the Sacramento Kings on a future episode of uh, the, this podcast series in the off season. I'll be doing in which I want to try and look at some of these lottery teams Look at the rookies brought in, rank some of the young core and figure out where and how all these puzzle pieces really fit together. I know I'll talk about the Sacramento Kings. I kind of agree with what Nick Ager Johnson said on one of my prior episodes to the 2022 draft, where he talked about he does think De'Aaron Fox is the point guard of the future for the Kings. And it's going through this exercise and really digging back through some of the film and looking at the, the consistent production he has put up, particularly over the last four years, even though the injuries have been there. So some of the, the, the games played haven't been there as opposed to some of his peers, I'm still betting on the talent. I'm still betting enough on the talent to where I couldn't let him fall out of the second tier in my ranking. So that's, we we've covered one through 14. Now it's, 
what I would deem 2021's greatest hits are my tier three. And we know who these guys are. So at 15, Kate Cunningham for the Pistons, 16, Evan Mobley of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and 17, Scotty Barnes for the Toronto Raptors. Listen, this 2021 class will be remembered for many years to come. I wouldn't fault anyone who values any of these three guys higher than those players I ranked before them. It's really more of a philosophical difference than me not recognizing the talent of where these guys are at right now. And it's not just a bet on their potential down the line. I I think all three of these guys are due to make really, really legitimate jumps in in their second year here, the 2022-23 NBA season. I, I think they're all primed for that. Cade Cunningham has proven in multiple ways that he can be one of the most dynamic scorers that we have in the entire NBA at that guard slash wing position. He's not the most athletic guy at that spot. He's not the same athlete as an Anthony Edwards, but his skill, his craft, his poise, his jump shooting mechanics, his willingness to take certain shots, his proficiency at some more difficult shots on the floor, particularly pulling up from the mid range. Some of the pull up three point makes he, he, he goes about, I'm betting on Kate Cunningham's talent as an offensive player and some of the defensive stuff that I've talked about on prior episodes um, on the podcast here. I'm still very, very much intrigued about his defensive potential. And it would not shock me if one day he could even join names like Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes on potential all defense teams. Um, One day that that would not shock me at all. And then both of those bigs, I've talked about those two to death as well. um, On this podcast, they're both incredible, incredible talents. They embody what we look at, as far as well, what do NBA teams want in a modern big today? They, they embody that. These face-up forwards who, yeah, they can play a, a little bit of bully ball and they can get you on the block and they can pass out of double teams, but they're known for their face-up ability. They're known for their ability to handle the ball at their size, leverage their, their physicality, especially um, in the nature of Scotty Barnes, their ability to see over defenders and make plays for others, more so for, for Evan Mobley right now. They've both shown the ability to hit perimeter jump shots um, off the dribble once they come in and, and really take that space. They're going to work on being better contested shot makers. And then they can both stretch the floor to a certain degree right now from three-point range, but that will also be a part of their game that continues to improve over time. So three really, really, really incredible talents in that tier. That, that's where I have them. I've talked about them so much. I don't, I don't need to, to belabor any of those points. Tier four. And I dub this tier veterans with potential, right? They're, they're not first-year players. They're not rookies coming in. These guys have some time in the NBA under their belts. But I just, I just couldn't bring myself to rank them ahead of some of these other guys. And at 18, it's Darius Garland for the Cavs. At 19, it's LaMelo Ball for the Hornets. At 20, it's Jared Allen for the Cavs. And 21, it's John Collins for the Hawks. And Darius Garland and Jared Allen, I think, were two guys who we still value to an extent in the draft exercise that we did. But LaMelo Ball fell all the way to 23, right? John Collins was the, the last guy kind of shoehorned onto our teams because we didn't want I, – I, I shouldn't say we. I didn't want to leave anybody in the draft board. Right? I wanted every player that we had ready for this exercise because some of the guys were tied in the rankings. I wanted everybody to have a home. Therefore, John Collins had a home on Pierre's team. But – LaMelo and, and John, they, they weren't valued as highly as some of these other guys. And I threw Darius and Jared in the same bucket because they all excel at certain things on one end of the floor. 
right? Like Darius Garland is a, a really awesome shooter and playmaker. And he's one of these guys who he has the dribble craft, the handle to be able to get to certain spots on the floor and make it difficult for defenses to shut down everything that he does because of his passing vision, because of his passing touch. He makes the game of offense so much easier for everybody else around him. I thought at different points, you can make an argument for either one of the bigs for the Cavs last year as being their, their most important player on the team. I actually thought it was Darius Garland because the film that I watched without Garland, I don't know how that Cavs team would have gotten some of the buckets on the offensive side of the ball that they did. Even going into the playoffs, everybody was talking about the Cavs just don't have enough offense. Cavs don't have enough uh, offense going into this play playing game to be able to match up. To an extent, that was proven out true. If Darius Garland is off his game offensively, certainly not giving you anything on the defensive end. So he is an important part of what the Cavaliers do. But if I'm just evaluating his game in a vacuum and I'm comparing him and putting him up against some of his other peers and these other tiers, you have to essentially do more to play around Darius Garland and live up to his strengths with, with him having the ball in his hands as much and as often as he should, and really the same with the mellow ball, than just putting them on the roster, putting them out on the floor and telling, telling everybody else around them and, and telling them in return to, to just figure it out, right? On, on the offensive side of the ball, it works. But defensively, the both of them have um, certain lapses on that end at times. They're both not the most succinct and, and aware on-ball defenders. They, they struggle uh, on that end. and if you're telling me I'm not getting the supreme offensive talent as some of the other guys ahead of them, whereas if I'm ranking somebody in a tier two versus tier four example, I can get a proven co-star who I know maybe he's not a number one option. Maybe he's not going to have the ball in his hands all the time, but he has fewer holes in his all around game to where he can pair easier on both sides of the ball with one of those established stars or superstars. That's the type of player that in this exercise I'm going to reward and I'm going to rank higher. It's not that I'm not a fan of Darius Garland. He's one of my favorite point guards to watch in the entire NBA. It's not that I'm not a fan of LaMelo Ball. His talent is absolutely undeniable and ridiculous and freakish. I think it's more so his leadership qualities and his willingness to continue to work on his body and then in turn leverage more of that physicality that comes with that to better his advantages inside the arc. There are certain things I think that need to be worked on in his game, but it's it's not a talent issue. LaMelo Ball is one of the most talented point guards we have in the NBA. I love Jared Allen for everything he does on the defensive side of the ball. He pairs really well with Evan Mobley. That, Jared Allen is the type of big man that Evan Mobley needed to be able to come in and have the success in the NBA that he did, right? I, I love Jared Allen defensively. And, and John Collins is a, is a unique offensive forward who has gotten much better over the last few years at spacing the floor, making it easier for everybody else. And then being that lob threat of pick and roll off those rolls where he's one of the most dynamic dunkers that we have at that forward spot or, or operating out of the dunker spot and offensive rebound opportunities in the entire NBA. But he, he can't really guard a lick. He's one of those guys who opposing teams will hunt down in certain situations. And Jared Allen, he's just not a dynamic offensive force. I, I, I love the improvements that he's shown and the willingness to put in the work to have some sort of mid-range jump shot, maybe out to like 10 or 15 feet. I love the work that he's putting in. But I wouldn't consider him a, a, a really, really, really awesome post-up scorer. He, he, can finish off, he can finish off dunks. He can finish off lobs. But – if he's not giving me too many of these other dimensions on the offensive side of the ball, 
and he's he's one of these rim running bigs, defensive minded rim protectors. Those guys just don't have as much value to be ranked ahead of some of the other names in today's NBA as proven perimeter options who can play with the ball, who can play without the ball, who can space the floor effectively from the perimeter. Like the, the, the value just, it, it's not the same. And I wouldn't fault anybody for having any of these four guys ahead of the tier that I just laid out with some of the guys who are now only going to be year two players. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame you if you had any one of these guys ahead of somebody like an RJ Barrett or, or a Tyrese Halliburton or a Darren Fox. Like I, I, I wouldn't blame you. This is just, this is sort of how I saw everything play out before me when, when I was putting this together. I would rather have one of those tier two guys in more situations than having to take one of these guys in the back end and figure out how am I actually going to operate with, with, with these guys on the court and make it work on both sides of the ball. I need to put a little more around those guys but they're still listen they're still inside the top 21 guys on my 25 under 25 rankings like we're talking about some of the best young talents the nba has to offer and i don't mean to insult any of those guys but if i'm doing a ranking system somebody's got to end up near the bottom and and that was my tier that i i felt the worst about that tier because i want to have each and every one of those individuals higher in my rankings but it's just sort of it's just sort of why I fell on it. And then, like I said, at the end of the day, youth would be a tiebreaker in certain circumstances such as that. I, I would take Cade, I would take Evan, I would take Scotty because of what I believe they could be in the future as potential number one options, as opposed to those guys. And then we have tier five, which I dubbed on their way up. And I have the young guys. I have Jalen Green, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bencaro, and tied for that last spot, I had Franz Wagner and Josh Giddy. They were some of my most favorite honorable mention guys that I was able to move up because we had to remove Bam Adebayo from this exercise, given when we conducted it based on his birthday. Bam Adebayo is, is now 25 years old. Happy birthday, Bam. Congratulations. Uh, but you're no longer a part of this exercise. I had to, I had to throw a few more names into the ring. So that's my last group. Again, all five of these guys, I'm high on all of them. I love each and every single one of them. I'm a big fan I will love to watch them in the 2022-23 NBA season. If I had to pick one wild card out of this group as to who I feel like has the highest ceiling, I still think it's Chet Holmgren. Um, if he becomes consistently what he was in that first summer league game for the Thunder, uh, Chris Porzingis, like shooter, who's capable of much more off the bounce offensively and protects the rim in even more dominating fashion, then I'm not quite sure if I could put any cap on his ceiling. Um, his potential to me is limitless. He's a better ball handler than he's given credit for an efficient finisher around the basket and improving mid range score, a capable four spacer already. And one of the most distinctive defenders at his size in the league, I had him first overall on my 2022 board for a reason. And while I still feel like Paolo Bencaro is a guy who can certainly be in that conversation for biggest wild card, most upside from this group, along with a Jalen green for the Houston Rockets. Um, I really feel like the Thunder made the best pick uh, they could have made in, in drafting Holmgren, who was available to them. And, and he's, to me, the, the biggest upside play of, of anyone in these rankings, not in that top tier. So I, I could have mentioned a ton of honorable mentions in a section like this, but hopefully my point has come across. The league is in good hands. There are so many excellent young players that I could have gone 60 plus names deep 
in an exercise like this. And, and that's a, that's a good problem to have. That means there's a lot of guys who, who are buzzworthy, who are throwing down vicious dunks, nailing um, a ridiculous string of three pointers. There are guys and there's talent to talk about. And that's the most important thing in a position like mine, where I'm trying to make a podcast and put out multiple episodes a week or, or write certain pieces or articles. And I can go look at any team in the NBA and I can point to some of the young guys and I can look at where they were before the draft versus where they're at in the development. Now, the more opportunities I have to create content like that, the, the better it is for me. And in turn, the better it is for, for you, the audience as well. Um, that, that gives all of us opportunities to conduct exercises and go back and, and revisit some of these players and, and learn things, learn and, and think about what we missed in their evaluations before the draft. And that that's not this podcast. I won't sit here and do that. I don't have too much more. I want to get through on this episode, though. I do want to walk through really quick. Some of my 2019 NBA draft years as some of these players are very relevant to the conversations that we just had regarding the top 25 under 25. So in my tier one, my adjusted tier one, which would be an MVP caliber player. I have Zion Williamson and John Moran in that top tier. Tier two, who would be potential all-stars. I have RJ Barrett and Darius Garland. You saw them appear in tiers two and four, um, respectively, on my top 25 under 25 rankings. And then tier three would be starter level players. I have DeAndre Hunter, uh, Keldon Johnson, Kevin Porter Jr., Luke Dort, Jordan Poole as my, my, my more quote-unquote guaranteed starter level players. And then tier four is sort of that fifth starter, that guy that you're shoehorning in or your specialist or your sixth man, wider category in that tier than when I did this exercise last year during the offseason. I have Cam Johnson, Tyler Hero, Matisse Thibel, Daniel Gafford, Terrence Mann, Kobe White, Jackson Hayes, Nick Claxton, Brandon Clark, Grant Williams, Nasir Little, and, and, and the Martins um, as a part of that exercise. So that's those are my players that I would comprise tier one through four. Notice it's only like 22 guys out of those top four tiers. It's what I've talked about each and every single time I, I do a retier. The number of starting caliber players just dwindles and it dwindles and it dwindles. The more we get to learn about these players, the more chances and opportunities they're given, the more that they either live up to those expectations and they prove themselves as that type of player, or there's a lot of guys who were wishing they were at different spots at this point in their careers in the NBA. My tiers five through seven, going back and redoing the exercise, there's a ton of names in there who are probably better suited for bench roles. That doesn't mean that they can't change the narrative or the course of their future and then jump back into some of those top tiers, like where I would have had them previously, even last year, but certainly uh, before the, the 2019 NBA draft. So again, I'll just run through the tiers one more time. So tier one, I have Zion Williamson and John Morant. Tier two, RJ Barrett and Darius Garland. Tier three, DeAndre Hunter, Kelvin Johnson, Kevin Porter Jr., Luke Dort, Jordan Poole, and then tier four, Cam Johnson, Tyler Hero, Matisse Thibel, Daniel Gafford, Terrence Mann, Kobe White, Jackson Hayes, Nick Claxton, Brandon Clark, Grant Williams, Nasir Little, and the Martins. And if you've heard prior episodes of me doing a retier podcast, you can absolutely figure out what those tiers mean. You understand the breakdown. You can see where the chips fall with these new guys. I just wanted to 
offer up those tiers as more of a supplement to the, the top 25, under 25 content, because some of those names were just relevant. They'd be mentioned twice in both exercises. So that's going to do it for my reflectionary content for this off-season period. I've gone through, I've done re-tiers now for not just 2019, like you just heard, but also 2020 and 2021. We talked about some of the 2022 draft class at length and some of the summer league reactions. And in doing a top 25 or 25 exercise, I thought, I thought the draft was really fun. I thought going back and looking at my personal rankings and writing about them and publishing them was really fun. I think that's a tradition I can definitely look forward to doing year after year on this podcast feed, as well as for no ceiling. So expect more of that content as the, the years go by, as more of these off seasons go by, but I want the month of August to, to bounce around some more NBA topics. I want to look at some of these young rookie fits. I want to talk about some of these young cores with these lottery teams are just drafted in those spots in the 2022 draft. I want to take a look at that stuff with some guests who really spend their time covering some of these teams and who may be able to give, actually not may, I, I know that to an extent they can give better evaluations on some of these guys, uh, especially some of these NBA players who I haven't gotten a chance to watch in excruciating detail over the last few seasons, I know that they can give better evaluations about those guys than I can. So I'm really excited. Anytime I get to have guests on where I can learn more about the game from somebody like them and they can teach me things, those are the types of guests I absolutely love to have on this feed. Did Different views, different perspectives. I, I, I would hope that I never evolve into a podcast where, or devolve, I should say, where it, it's only me talking. It's only these solo episodes across the feed all the time. I love talking to people. I love learning. It's what helps me get better at this. And in turn, it's what helps you, the audience member, get better at this. So I can't wait for some of those podcast episodes that I have coming in the near future. If you want to listen to those, make sure you subscribe to the Draft Deeper podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you are following me again on Twitter at Draft Deeper and make sure for all of our no silly content, you're following us on Twitter at no ceilings NBA and you're subscribed no ceilings NBA.com. Our own Maxwell Baumbach just put out an awesome grassroots piece. He was at um, an Under Armour event. He was at another prep hoops event this prior weekend to when you're hearing this podcast. So he put out a lot of his written thoughts on the Substack. Make sure you're checking those out. You can catch my top 2525. You missed it. Um, we'll have some more content coming on that Substack feed through this offseason process and we will march right on into the 2023 draft cycle. We're going to love every single minute of it. So make sure you're tuned in for all of that incredible content coming your way. But until then, until there's a little more to talk about, I thank you all again for just taking the time to listen to this episode of the podcast. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.